0: This is uh, what's projected to be the final episode of our series, Puzzles About God. We are picking up where we left off last time, talking about how God can become human, and you might remember last time um, Austin talked about some of the uh, things we should not say about how God can become human, some of the... uh, Attempts to make sense of the Incarnation that the Church has officially rejected as heresies. This time we're going to be looking for some non-heretical approaches to trying to make sense of this. Uh, And Patrick's going to take us through that.
1: Yeah, it's always good to try and look for non-heretical approaches in theology, (laughs) I I think. Uh, As we saw last time, there are a lot of historical... Heretical approaches. I mean, Austin gave us quite a litany of Christological heresies. So, this is clearly a very difficult doctrine to articulate in a a really full kind of way. Why do you think that is? Yeah, uh, well, I think that the reason is because it requires us to posit how it is that God became a human being. And that's pretty confusing, right? Like... (laughs) Uh, think doesn't about every day. Yeah. I mean, uh, you said something like this last time. If you're not, if that doesn't confuse you, you're not really paying attention. <laughs> and if you've listened through with us to this series so far, you've thought somewhat closely about some of the divine attributes. And so you have maybe a slightly fuller, hopefully, or more articulate concept of what God is like. And if you really think about that and then you think about like what you're like and all the other humans, you know and you try to think about something being both of those ways, then it should be like, uh, you should come come up blank a little bit. It should be like, okay, how could that, how could that be? Um, And here's a simple way to, I think, articulate the problem a little bit more precisely, is that there are properties that God has, what we've called futures or attributes of God, Like God's eternality, God's aseity, his impassibility or omnipotence or omniscience. And those seem to be inconsistent with the properties required to be human. For example, having a beginning in time or being created, being dependent, lacking in power, not knowing some things. Um... So when I say that the first set of properties are inconsistent with the latter, I mean that it's impossible for anything, any one thing, to have both sets. So some people have thought, and this has been an objection to the doctrine of the Incarnation, that, uh, that the Incarnation would uh, have to violate the law of non-contradiction. So what's that law of non-contradiction? It's not like a law in the the law books of the U S or an international governing body. It's not a law of nature. It's a law of logic. So the law of non-contradiction says that for any proposition called the proposition P it is impossible for both P and not P to be true. So you can't have both a proposition like a a given sentence or statement and its contradiction both being true at the same time in the same way. Okay. Okay. So I can't I
2: can't say it is raining and it is not raining at the same time in the same way and have them both be true. Right. Yeah. Because it's either raining or it's not raining.
1: Either it is or it isn't. Which is it? Uh, That's yeah. And we all just naturally find this to be right. We sort of intuitively use the law of non-contradiction in our everyday reasoning about the world around us in our belief formation, even if we've never heard of that law or anything. So some people have said that the incarnation would have to violate this law of non-contradiction. And for reasons we've already seen, uh, it's the inconsistent properties problem, namely that Jesus would uh, both be, it would be, both be true that Jesus is eternal and that Jesus is not eternal and that Jesus is, uh, has a aseity, that Jesus does not depend on any, anything, but that Jesus does depend on something. Or uh, we could go on and list more contradictions. So what do we do about that? Well, some people have actually suggested that we should abandon the law of non-contradiction in order to make sense of the incarnation. And on that view, you just say, well, yeah, the incarnation is is or it does entail contradictions. Um it's and it's possible for contradictions to be true. So P and not P for any proposition P could hold. And oh, the incarnation is just yeah, a bundle of contradictions. Jesus is eternal and not eternal. He's Ase and not Ase. He's omnipotent and uh, not omnipotent and so forth. And, oh, yeah, okay. So non-contradiction that doesn't hold.
2: But that leaves you into this kind of irrationalist or, or what some people call fideist view where we just believe it because we believe it. But actually, you kind of undermine your ability to believe anything else, um, in a sense, because you're, you sort of have to doubt any kind of basic faculties to know anything. In order to accept this as true and that seems really problematic Mm -hmm. for lots of reasons yeah (laughs) uh if you have to like doubt your own basic intuitions about anything in order to accept this to be the case so that's really would be a really extreme way to go with that and i think most of us would not be willing to go to that place yeah so what are other ways we could think about this that wouldn't that to make sense of it that wouldn't lead us to rejecting kind of our, our basic intuitions about logic
1: yeah well, there are all the heresies you mentioned last time. Uh, so that you know there are also, so those are some good. Those, options. Those are have. options that don't require you to uh, reject the law of non-contradiction. But you're right, that uh, it is a very extreme approach, and we'd rather avoid the heresies if we can. So um, here's something else that some people have said, uh, namely that none of the properties that I listed earlier as necessary for being human like, for example, uh, having a beginning, being dependent, lacking in power, not knowing some things, none of those properties is actually necessary for being human. So let me say a little bit more about this approach. So Thomas Morris, who is an advocate of this kind of strategy, invites us to consider the possibility that these properties are merely common to humans, not something that's essential for being human, or that you have to have, that you have to have a beginning in time. Like there has to be some time at which you don't exist, or some power that you lack to be human. So I'm going to quote uh, uh, philosopher David Werther, who summarizes uh, Morris's argument, and he says this quote: Morris asks us to consider a distinction between being fully but not merely X and being fully and merely x. So let me say the distinction again and I'll give an example from the quote. So he asks us to consider the distinction between being fully but not merely x and being fully and merely x. For example, a cube, like a two-dimensional square, is fully a rectangle, as each one of the cube's faces is a parallelogram with four right angles. However, a cube is not merely a rectangle, for it possesses a higher-level property. It is three-dimensional. Similarly, God the Son incarnate is fully, but not merely, human. He has all of the properties individually necessary and jointly sufficient for being human, but also higher-level divine properties. And then Morris draws our attention to the distinction between properties commonly possessed by humans and properties essential to humanity. So remember, I was just saying, you might think, uh, Morris tells us that the properties I was listening earlier are not essential to humanity, they're just commonly found amongst humans. So by definition, if a property is essential for being human, all humans have to have it in order to be human. Uh, So essential human properties are not necessarily common human, or excuse me, are necessarily common human properties. If it's an essential human property, it will be in every human, so it will be common. But the reverse doesn't hold. If a property is common to all humans, it's not, it doesn't have to be essential. It might be an accident that all humans have that property. It might be in some future, here's an example I'm just coming up with right now, so I'm going off the quote now. Uh, It might be in some future time that all humans end up with brown hair, so that having brown hair, will be a common human property. And then somebody might, uh, at that future time, incorrectly infer from their observations that brown, having brown hair is an essential human attribute. But they would be wrong. And we know that because we have black hair and, and uh, blonde-haired and red-haired friends right now uh, that we know. Okay. Here's another example that Morris uses. Great. Morris uses the
0: example of... Uh, I Remember, right? It's being born within so many kilometers of the surface of the earth, right? Yeah, like yeah. Everybody, every human who's ever lived, has been born like on the surface of the earth or not too far from the surface of the earth, like in an airplane or something. Yeah, but it's but at least like a possibility that in the future, some human will be born on, on the Mars moon or on Mars, on Mars yeah. yeah. And in that case. Um, we wouldn't say, oh, well, they're not human then because they don't have this property that all other humans have. We would say, no, they are human because it's not one of the essential properties of humanity to be born on the surface of the earth. It's just a common property of humanity.
1: Yeah. Okay, so the general strategy then is to posit that none of the inconsistencies that we were worried about actually holds for Jesus. Why? Because it's not true that Jesus... It has a beginning or is dependent or lacks in power or fails to know some things. All those things that we said were required for being human were essential human properties are not actually essential human properties. Now, you can say there are some nearby things that uh, are like a little like that. Like Jesus has a body that had a beginning in time. So there might be some sort of limitation-like properties, but strictly speaking on this view, Jesus has all the properties of God and none that are inconsistent with him. And that's one way you can solve the inconsistent properties problem. So something like humans
2: being finite in all the ways that God is not are sort of... Was he saying that those are just accidental features? It just happens to be the case that we began at a particular time and that we but none of those are necessary features.
1: Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, I think his view is that these are, it's accidental to our nature that Mm. we, uh, have that the, that we have these features. Now it might be that, um, these accidents are not like arbitrary accidents. Um, and that in normal circumstances, they are accidents that will always arise, Mm. but well, the incarnation is not a normal circumstance, right? Uh, yeah. It's, it's God assuming a human nature, not just another human being born it like any other. So it, it shouldn't be surprising if some properties that are accidental to humanity, but that will come about or that will, that will be exemplified by every human in normal circumstances, wouldn't be exemplified by a human who's not sort of in normal circumstances, and I think the uh, example Justin brought up about somebody being born on the moon is actually really helpful for thinking about that because as soon as we have space stations on the moon with hospitals uh, where babies can be delivered, the circumstances have changed for the for those people, right? And the circumstances are different for Jesus than
0: for us. Hmm. It might also be helpful to note that there's at least one attribute that everybody in the Christian tradition treats the way Morris treats all of these cases. And that's the the attribute of being sinful. Hmm. Um, Because we say, oh, look, all humans are sinful. But actually at least one human wasn't, well, exactly one human wasn't, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And what's going on there, the, I mean, the standard story is that, well, that's because it's not really part of human nature to be sinful. Um, it's just, uh, you know, the sin nature that we have is not a part of human nature. Yeah. So it's possible to have exceptions. And, and in, in fact, there's just this one exception of a, this one human, Jesus, who is not also sinful. Um but nevertheless every other human being happens to have this property and not just by accident in, in like the colloquial sense. Yeah,
1: not by accident as if it's like a arbitrary or uh uncaused or yeah, uh yeah. surprising. Yeah. But just uh, as non-essential not as a, it's a non essential <coughs> feature of humans. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Morris basically just
0: wants to take that and say the same thing about all the other properties that humans have that seem to be limitations that God wouldn't have.
1: Yeah, and thus that Jesus would not have even after assuming a human nature. Uh Uh-huh. Okay,
2: so what are some other reasons that we would uh, find this view troublesome?
1: Okay, uh, well, so I can think of two. In the Bible, Jesus appears to be really limited in what he's able to do. Uh, so if Jesus is just straightforwardly omnipotent and omniscient, you might think that that should be more obvious that Jesus should act that way. Um, so what so how do we make sense of that on this kind of view? Well, Morris has something to say about that. He says that in having two natures, Jesus has two minds. So Morris says that okay, for every nature you have you get a mind. And a human mind, it goes with the human nature, and a divine mind goes with the divine nature. So when you see Jesus acting sort of in what seem like limited ways in the scripture, it's because that's how he's sort of interfacing with reality through his human mind. Um, but One potential problem with the two minds approach is that it's tempting to count people according to minds. In fact, that was a suggestion that Justin gave for us in the episode on models of the Trinity that we had. That we would count each person of the Trinity according to the number of like, streams of consciousness that there were. So that, if there were, that, that there would be three persons, each with their own stream of consciousness. But then if, there, if Jesus had two minds, you might think, oh, that's really just two people there. And so, what this view threatens to collapse into is uh, a version of Nestorianism, maybe, where there's there's not two natures in one person; there are really just two people there. Mm. So that's one worry about uh, this whole approach: is it might seem to require the two minds view, and the two minds view might uh, seem to collapse into a classical heresy. Mm-hmm.
0: It's probably worth mentioning here that there are other variants of the two minds move that people have defended. So um, some people have said, well, what if you've got like one mind with two different sets of cognitive faculties? So you start out with a divine mind, and then that mind creates for itself within the same mind like a, a limited human set of faculties to operate in addition to the divine set. And then there are also versions of the story which say, well, what what about if there's just this one mind and it just um pushes most of its faculties into its subconscious so that from the inside it's as if it had the ordinary human limitations that we do? Um now, I'm not sure how effective those alternative or those variants of Morris's view would be in dealing with this Nestorianism worry, but you might think that they help a little bit, make it seem a little bit less like there's two people here.
1: Yeah, I mean, another thing to point out is that you might not like the uh, view on which you count people according to minds, mm. right? So yeah. I mentioned this in our episode on models of the Trinity. Uh, where I, I kind of said, I don't really like that view, and I think maybe one person could have more than one stream of consciousness or more than one mind. Yeah. And if you think like that about people, then maybe you think this view is fine, because uh, it wouldn't collapse into there being two people. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. And, and actually, in support of that suggestion, um, Tim Paul has this idea. He's pointed out that, look, it's actually, it seems like an ordinary thing for something that would be a person to fail to be a person just because it's a part of a larger thing that's a person. So, um, for example, all of me except my, uh, you know, my left foot, if I, if my left foot were cut off, you'd still have a person here, me. Uh, but while I still have that foot, all of me minus that foot isn't a person. Um, And so you might think a similar thing is going on with the minds of Christ. Like, sure, if you just had um, an ordinary human body and human mind that's not assumed by a divine mind, then that would be a person. But given that it's been united to this divine mind, in that condition it isn't a person. Mm. Maybe something like that.
1: Yeah. So there's things to say in both directions there. I think maybe a more... uh, serious worry for this view depending on uh how seriously you take the the creedal test that we've been applying is that it's not clear that it passes that test Mm -hmm. um so for example the church fathers at the second council of nicaea characterized jesus as quote one and the same christ as both visible and invisible lord incomprehensible and comprehensible Unlimited and limited, incapable and capable of suffering, I- inexpressible and expressible in writing. They seem to think Jesus has the human limitations that Morris wants to say he doesn't actually have. And so uh, it seems like what this view wants to do is, is deny the creedal, uh, at least some of the creedal formulas, namely the ones that attribute to Jesus the human limitations that uh, that they do. Well, do you have any other suggestions,
2: or are we just stuck? <laughs> there,
1: there's some other things to say. <laughs> so uh, so there's one other broad approach here. So a number of philosophers, some examples are uh, Marilyn Adams, Brian Leftow, and Eleanor Stump. They've suggested this kind of idea, that Jesus has properties relative to his nature. So... Uh, they use this this word qua uh, that Jesus has eternality qua God, but He has a beginning in time qua human, and where qua there just means sort of relative to or in virtue of that second thing uh, that's being listed. So yeah, so the, so yeah. Stump gives the example: an apple is red qua its skin, uh, white qua its flesh. Uh, and you might think about uh, examples that apply to yourself. Like I have certain responsibilities qua parent that I don't have qua son of my being, you know, being the son of my uh, parents. Okay. So what they're going to say is something like this. Yeah, God, uh, God, the son, Jesus is eternal, but he's, it's not eternal Simply, you can't just stop there. You have to say he's eternal qua God. Jesus is ase qua God, omnipotent qua God. And oh, and then also, yeah, Jesus does have a beginning, but not just simply. Jesus has a beginning qua human. Jesus is dependent qua human, lacking in power qua human. So for each of these properties that we're thinking about, In our inconsistent properties problem, what's true is not that Jesus has the property, but that Jesus has the property either qua God or qua human.
0: I think it's also important uh, that there are, there's actually a variety of views here because there are like a bunch of different versions of this view that, that uses this quay trick. So one way of thinking about it is that these are actually different properties, like being Omniscient quay one sort of nature, versus omniscient quay another sort of nature, those are different properties. But there are other ways to think about it, too. It could be two different ways of having a property instead of two different properties. Uh, and there are still other ways of thinking about it.
1: Okay, so Timothy Paul has suggested a way that accords, I think, really well with Chalcedon and with the other councils. His view is that we don't have to say that properties like aseity and dependence or uncreatedness and createdness are actually incompatible. So if, if you look at all of the responses that we have thought about so far, denying the law of non-contradiction, um, saying that Christ does not actually have these common human attributes, Uh, relativizing the way he has properties to his natures with the the quay trick, all of these these approaches assume that the properties that that Jesus has, according to the incarnation model, are incompatible. Well, what if we rejected that assumption? So uh, Paul thinks about it like this. When we say of someone that they are eternal or that they are, passable, or uh, assay, or uncreated, or whatnot. What makes that true? When, In what cases is that going to be true? And here's his claim. It's true just in case that person has a nature that is that way. So somebody is eternal just in case they have a nature that is eternal. Everything, uh, okay, and then add to it. that picture this everything in existence has only one nature except Jesus that's what makes the incarnation pretty amazing (laughs) Like it's a miracle right Uh, but having two natures then allows for Jesus to have properties that no being with one nature could have so it's true that if all you had was one nature like you know Austin over here you couldn't be both eternal and have a beginning in time. Because if, ha- uh, if, if Austin has a beginning in time, that means he has a nature that has a beginning in time. But then he couldn't also have a nature that was eternal because he only has the one nature. Mm. So that rules out Austin's etern- eternality right there. But Jesus has two natures. So when we say that Jesus is uh, eternal, that means that Jesus has a nature that has no beginning. Oh, check, yeah, he has a divine nature. Does that rule out his having a uh, beginning in time? No, because, oh, he has another nature, and maybe that nature has a beginning in time. Oh, check, yeah, it does. It's a human nature. Uh, So that's the kind of picture that Paul gives, and it's still, it's similar in a lot of ways to the Quay strategy, but without uh, saying that Jesus has these properties in different ways or that they're different, like categories of properties or something like that. No, Jesus is straightforwardly eternal Mm -hmm. and, uh, has a beginning in time and he's straightforwardly passable and impassable. And, uh, all the, all the things that we've been kind of talking about, these properties are not actually, uh, inconsistent or contradictory. There's Mm -hmm. no real contradiction. That's the, that's the major claim that he makes. Mm -hmm. One of,
2: uh, I guess, one of the things I like about that approach is, I think when we when we think about these properties being being incompatible, that somehow they're in conflict. Um, I wonder if if that's because we're thinking about them being uh, created and uncreated as being sort of two things on the same space that are competing for space. Right. Right. We've got God, and then we've got creation, and they can't they can't be in the same space at the same time because one's eternal and omni- omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent and the other's not, and these are in conflict. But actually if God really is wholly other and fully transcendent in that way, God can be fully imminent and fully present to creation in a way in which God there, there's no competition between God and creation is mm-hmm. what I'm saying because they're not in the same metaphysical plane.: It's different playing fields yes yeah. so in one sense, it is a sort of unique mystery, right? Like Christ is not like anything else in the world, because God is not like anything else in the world, and maybe that's okay because God, being God, is not actually in conflict with created things.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's right. That and especially the point that like uh, Paul's view does not like get rid of. The Mystery of the Incarnation or something like that. Um, Because it doesn't tell you how one person could have two natures. Mm. Uh, In particular,
0: and I think this is probably what you mean, he really emphasizes, if I remember right, that his model doesn't tell you in virtue of what are the two natures united.
1: Right. Mm. But it solves the apparent logical inconsistency in a way that seems consistent with... Both scripture and the creeds, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that nothing we've said so far uh, directly
0: addresses, um, on Paul's view, he's going to have the problem of the two minds that Morris had as well, because he's going to ultimately say, "Yep, you know, part of a human nature is to have a human mind; part of having a divine nature is to have a divine mind." And I've given you a model on which it turns out that something can have a human mind and a divine mind, and that's not inconsistent, but that still leaves the question of, well, can something with two minds like that be one person? And actually, I
1: already mentioned earlier how he tries to solve that problem. Yeah. so yeah. Uh, yeah I mean another reason you might not like the view is you might not uh you might not like the claim that he makes about. What makes it true to say that somebody has a property yeah, to say that to that it's that's true just when yeah. they have a nature that is that way yeah, you might think no it's just just
0: when that thing is omniscient, not when it has a nature that's that's gets getting more complicated than we need or something. yeah, so there are
1: certain i mean you might think it's either mysterious or there might be certain kind of nitty gritty reasons to reject that version of of uh what makes it true that somebody has a given property mm-hmm. to say that they do? So it's not its not certainly an unassailable view, but it's nice that it uh, can help solve the problem without uh, contradicting any creeds or, or scripture. That's mm-hmm. a good... And it's also
0: important that if you're trying to interpret the creeds, right... What matters is what did they mean when they said Christ is both omniscient and not omniscient, or whatever. And maybe they did mean something, like even if this isn't what one would normally mean, maybe they
2: did mean like has a nature that is omniscient. Right. Hmm. Seems to fit with the rest of the formula in a sense. Yeah. yeah. yeah.